Odds are that at some point since the 2016 election, you've heard somebody talk about the rural-urban divide. It usually doesn't get much deeper than this basic idea that tree-hugging urban liberals are condescending and out of touch, and rural conservatives are ignorant, selfish, and want nothing more than to personally kill the very last of the spotted owls. And that doesn't do us any good, so today we're going to dissect this idea a bit more. I'm Steve, Steve Boyce, and I was, I've been here on this ranch. Steve and Robin Boyce are ranchers just outside Jackpot, Nevada. As you'll see, they're innovative, passionate conservationists whose work flies in the face of this traditional narrative that would have us believing conservation and agriculture are irreconcilable opposites. They also do us the favor of very clearly laying out the key pieces of this divide. Almost every state they complain with all the populations in one area and they get all the power. But in Nevada it really is true. You know, like right now, this highway really needs passing lanes and all of our highway money's circling Las Vegas right now. I mean, mining and casino industry kind of own the politics in lots of ways in Nevada. I mean, because there is that concentration and I think that it's, it's hard to grasp when you hear that these western states are the most urbanized states in the nation. It's true. Even though we've been spoon-fed this cultural image of the West as wide-open spaces and cowboys, 90% of its population lives in urban areas. And that disconnect between perception and reality is at the heart of what we're talking about. And I'm Robin. Um, I've lived here for 41 years, 41. I think. Robin's not from Nevada, but <laughs> while making the place her home, she's been instrumental in pushing this new way for ranchers, conservationists, and land management agencies to do business as a way of writing that imbalance. Grew up during the 70s and 80s, there was just a lot of disruptions. There's a lot of disruption uh, coming because of a lot of the environmental legislation that was being implemented by the BLM. and. We experienced this new way of doing business through collaborative processes, and we had a choice to make to either go down the road of litigation and just fight, fight, fight all the time, and we chose to try something new. Robin's describing the birth of the Shoe Soul Group, a collaborative group she and Steve started in the 90s. By their very nature, multiple-use public lands are home to a range of interests, so groups like Shoe Soul take steps to bridge those divides. We've got Department of Wildlife, we've got Fish and Wildlife, we've got our, our NRCS, we've got Public, we've got one environmental representative, our neighbors, our ranchers, who else? I mean, we all come together three times a year and we talk about what we're going to do, what we did do, how it went, and one day we take a tour and have a little fun. And the point, really, beyond creating an effective working environment is just, you know, as Robin just puts it... kind of get the group to relax and to relate to one another um, beyond your uniform. So, here's where things start to get really interesting. The Boises run their cattle on just over 100,000 acres of public grazing allotment, but their conservation work is happening elsewhere. It turns out their private land is great habitat for the endangered sage-grouse, and they've had to alter their grazing practices, their rotations, and so on, to accommodate the presence of that species, which they're more than happy to do. 
but is that really the best place to direct the bulk of their efforts? Because it turns out that so far the greatest damage done to sage-grouse hasn't been by grazing, it's been done by a different bird that's made its home on the ranch. What's frustrating from where we are, I am, is I don't know if you notice this big transmission line, but the raven population has just, it's like 500% of what it used to be. And they've proven scientifically that 85% that of the depredation and mortality on the sage-grouse is ravens. Ravens, they've got it classified as a migratory bird. But we just spent a year writing a state management plan dealing with grazing and anthropogenic type hunters, traveling and all those things. You know, the water's pouring in the house, we're caulking the windows and nobody's plugging the hole in the roof. This is exactly what happens with the imbalance Robin was talking about. Here's this endangered species on private land, and the Boyce's ability to protect it is actually inhibited by legislation protecting ravens as migratory birds, even though, according to Steve, ravens, not grazing, not infrastructure, not hunting or recreation, are far and away the greatest threat to the sage-grouse population. I think it's clear by now that the greatest problem the Boyce's and stewardship-minded ranchers like them are facing is a lack of nuance. Umbrella policies can't possibly account for all the variability in nature, and it's vital to recognize that what works one place might not work another. But is it so simple as just entrusting the final call to private landowners and hoping they'll be advised by the collaborative process? I don't think so. And that has to do with a man named Alan Savory, whose range management practices the Boises have adopted. You attended a Savory presentation. Yeah, in I in like in '92. Are you guys know the Western Folklife Center in Elko? And in 1992, I think it is. They had Alan Savory. Do you know familiar mm -hmm. with him? And he was the keynote speaker. And I was watched him speak. She came home and yeah. she was lit up. I think I know the answer. And people accused us that we were born again. So we, we drank the Kool-Aid and we headed down that road. So it's been a long journey because that was a long time ago. And that all kind of works into where we Alan are Alan Savory is a proponent of a practice called holistic range management. The gist of his theory is that short-term, large-scale, intensive grazing on a piece of land will increase ground cover and reverse the effects of desertification and climate change. Which is, well, just not true. Here's an excerpt out of a peer-reviewed article from the Society for Range Management. We find all of Mr. Savory's major claims to be unfounded. Scientific evidence unmistakably demonstrates the inability of Mr. Savory's grazing method to reverse rangeland degradation or climate change, and it strongly suggests that it might actually accelerate these processes. So, to whom do we entrust the protection of endangered species? How much nuance do we allow for, and how much bureaucracy do we build in? Because nobody's really getting it right. The state protects the ravens that are killing the sage-grouse, but given greater autonomy, the boys' use of the savory technique could do as much or more damage in the long term. The reality is that the longer we take to decide, the bigger the divide gets but the existence of entire species could rest on the decision. Food for thought. For National Public Lands Radio, I'm Noah Dunn. Thanks for listening.